0: listening to the SLP book club. We're your hosts Laura Geiser and Adrian Frost.
1: This month we're reading The Whole Brain Child by Daniel J Siegel and Tina
0: Payne Bryson. Let's get into it. Hi Adrian. Hi Laura. Welcome back to the SLP Book Club. This episode, we are doing Chapter 5 of The Whole Brain Child, The United States of Me, Integrating the Many Parts of the Self. So, Adrian, I got to say, we're not supposed to have favorites, but I think this is my favorite chapter.
1: (laughs) I actually really liked it too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, once again, it really helped me. I was thinking the whole time, I need to be able to do this. So, Definitely loved this one. This chapter is talking all about mind sight, which is understanding our own mind as well as understanding the mind of another.
1: I was going to say that I feel like this chapter is really great for perspective taking, which I think as SLPs, we're always looking for more information about that. So definitely one to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, exactly. So The big thing that they use to teach this concept, to teach mindsight to children, is called the wheel of awareness. So they say our mind can be pictured like a bicycle wheel with a hub in the middle and spokes radiating out toward the rim. So the hub is the inner place of your mind where you understand everything that's happening within and around you. It's basically your prefrontal cortex. It's where you make your best decisions, connect with other people, and connect to yourself. And then the rim, so the outside of the bicycle wheel, is wherever you're putting your focus at any one time. So that's made up of your perceptions, memories, thoughts, feelings, dreams, and body sensations. And there are a bunch of different points. And where you put your focus determines your state of mind at any given moment. They gave an example of a kid who was a real perfectionist, and he was just too focused on negative points, things he was worrying about, and using this wheel, he was able to realize that he was the one giving attention to these points and that anytime he could return to his hub and change his point of focus. So, you know, if he was able to realize that there are all these different great things that he does, at any time he can kind of change what he's focusing on and remember all the good things instead of being focused on things that he's not as good at, things he's worrying about. So it's really empowering for kids to know that, they can change what they're focusing on at any time and change the way that they feel and are experiencing the world. So that gave him a lot of control.
1: I wanted to talk about Josh real quick because I had a note about him, which is that, you know, this is something that could have grown to have really impacted his life. I think in the story, they said he was 11 and he was experiencing these really like perfectionist tendencies or urges or whatever. And I felt like, you know, how great that his mom was observant enough of how he was and had enough foresight to think, wow, let's get ahead of this. Because when you're a perfectionist at 11, yeah, that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. But if that had grown, imagine him in high school, imagine him in college, what stress that would have put on him when the environment continue to become more intense. And then for him, I just I was thinking, wow, what a beautiful way to give a child control over something that feels out of their control.
0: Yeah, I love the way you put that because perfectionism in kids can really be debilitating when it can take a really bright kid who has a lot of potential and make them scared to do anything. It's almost like they're stuck because they're so they have so much fear of failing. Perfectionism is if you do see it in kids, and it is great to look out for those signs of it, targeting it using the wheel of awareness is such a great way to help give him more control. And I love the way they put this. They said, you're not held hostage by one negative cluster of feelings or thoughts that are clamoring for your attention. And I, when I was a kid, I developed pretty bad OCD, and I did have perfectionism, and When you're a kid and a negative thought gets into your head, you can get so, so stuck. As a teenager, I had a lot of trouble sleeping, a lot of insomnia, which I eventually grew out of. But it's because when you have those negative thoughts or something you're worrying about or even thinking back on things you already said that you're embarrassed about, things like that, it can keep you up at night. It can just take over your life. You're thinking about it so much. So if I had had this tool when I was a child, when I was a teenager, it would have been really powerful for me to know it's me. I have control of what I think about. I don't have to let these thoughts run my mind or rule my life.
1: Yeah, it's a total game changer. I mean, I'm, I just think about all the kids who could really benefit from, once again, having a little more control over their thoughts, over how they respond to situations. And, you know, that's just the thing I'm really loving about this book is how much emphasis they put on the child sort of being in control of their behavior, their thoughts, their reactions. Mm-hmm.
0: Moving on in the chapter, they talk about distinguishing between feel and Am And so they say that when children experience a state of mind, they can end up defining themselves based on that temporary experience, as opposed to understanding that it's simply how they feel at the moment. So instead of saying, I feel lonely, they can say, I am lonely. And a temporary state of mind is perceived by a child as being a permanent part of their self. This state comes to be seen as a trait that defines who they are. And they give an example of a kid struggling with homework who might see themselves as dumb because the homework is too hard for them. And parents can really help develop mindsight. So help your child see you're frustrated about struggling in this moment, but it doesn't mean that you're dumb or that you'll always have trouble. So maybe you just aren't understanding this math concept, but here's all this proof that you're really smart. Here are all these other things. You're really great at this type of math. You're really great at writing, reading.
1: And I agree because I was thinking about how intense some academic situations can be. Like it depends on the school and it depends on, you know, if there's outside environmental pressures, like parents putting a lot of academic pressure on a child. But One of my schools that I was at was a math and science magnet school, and it went all the way up to middle school. And the transition from fifth grade, which was considered elementary school, to sixth grade, which was considered middle school, was really intense for these kids. And I just saw a lot of kids who would have thrived in a normal setting, maybe an average middle school, really struggling with the academic rigor of, you know, this school that was already a magnet school and was pretty intense and I have saw so many kids who weren't dumb but because of the environment or because they felt they couldn't keep up they really internalized that and it became how they saw themselves and I just it was a little bit heartbreaking because I feel like once a kid claims that as part of their identity it can be really hard to get them away from that or get them to change their mind. But I saw a lot of kids. And then, of course, we have kids who are maybe have a diagnosis of learning disability or something like that. And then, you know, they just get so defeated.
0: Yeah. And even, you know, I was thinking about one kid in particular, but it applies to a lot of kids. And I hope this year on in the SLP book club were able to read a book maybe about mindset and helping kids with developing a growth mindset. I had some kids, and maybe you've had a kid like this, younger, working on our tick sounds, maybe a harder sound that they're really having trouble getting. I just remember one who was always saying, I can't do it. I'm so dumb. I'm stupid. You know, I I can never do it. But he would also be the kid who, when we were playing a game, he'd say, I always lose. I'm never, it's not fair. You know, the way he saw himself, the way he saw the world, everything he focused on was negative. And it was around the time when I was really reading about mindset a lot. And it just really stood out to me. It starts so young sometimes when you have a really fixed mindset. And those are the kids that are always focused on the negative. And we really, as adults, have to help them see you're not dumb. This is a really hard sound that you're working on. And look, I heard you say it right in this word, in this word, in this word, helping him see just because you're having trouble in this word doesn't mean you're not gonna be able to do it if you keep working at it. So this wheel of awareness, I think it's really beautiful and and it could make a big impact for kids. Even I'm talking about a kid that was in maybe first or second grade. So then the authors talk about the power of focused attention, and how the brain can physically change in response to experiences. So once again, they're talking about neuroplasticity, that our brain changes based on what we experience and what we give our attention to, and that these new neural connections can alter the way we respond to and interact with the world. So this, Adrian, I don't know if we should bring our friend Dr. Joe into this. I know. (laughs) But I wrote, change your personality to change your personal reality. When you focus on more positive things, you change the way you experience the world. And I know right now people are a little down on toxic positivity, but using gratitude, focusing more on the things that are going right instead of things that are going wrong It does. It has a magical effect on your day. It changes everything about the way you interact with the world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just it is funny because you and I have been reading books lately that talk about this for adults. And it's really fascinating to see it interpreted in a way that can make sense to kids when really the theory is the same, right? Like we all have more control over our thoughts than we think. Then we know. Yeah. I was thinking, okay, you don't have to put this in, but I was thinking about Dr. Joe because of our last, the last chapter, which is talking about like, what was it? Neurons that fire together, wire together, or wire together, fire together. Yeah. And I wanted to say something and I was like, maybe I'll leave Dr. Joe.
0: I almost (laughs) brought up Dr. Joe in the last episode too. And in case we leave this in for our listeners, we are talking about Joe Dispenza, author.
1: Check out his books. He's amazing guru. (laughs) Life changer.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So then they provide scientific evidence that focused attention leads to reshaping the brain. And I think we've all heard some of these mentioned before, like in animals that really are rewarded for noticing sound, they have large auditory centers. In violinists, the the part of the brain that represents the left hand is enlarged. The hippocampus, which is responsible for spatial memory, is enlarged in taxi drivers. So we know that when you're using your brain in a certain way, that part of your brain grows and it's fascinating stuff. Then they give the story of Jason, the six-year-old who had the fear of the ceiling fan falling on him oh, while he slept. Poor guy. And I related to this guy because I have focused on things that are totally irrational before, had a fear that's irrational. And it it can kind of really overtake you, but his parents were able to teach him about mind sight and, and the will of awareness and help him recognize the physical sensations that could show him that that obsession was kind of creeping in, help him focus on other rim points, use imagery to relax. You know, he was able to focus on the good things that had happened that day, even the the knowing that his parents were right there and would never let something bad happen to him and it was a real thrive moment instead of just surviving because Mindsight, giving him this tool, they said, if a child at six has an irrational fear of a ceiling fan falling on him, yeah. that's not going to be the last thing he focuses on like that. Right. So having that tool where he realizes I can control my thoughts, I can control what I think about at any moment is going to be really powerful for him throughout his life.
1: My gosh. And when I was reading that, I was also thinking about all of those kids especially, again, our friends who are on the spectrum that can develop these obsessive thoughts. I mean, I had a student who had so much fear around it was a girl who had so much fear around her mom's safety. That she just like would not stop ruminating on something horrible happening to her mom. And it became like a thing where, you know, the school psych had to be involved and we had to come up with strategies to help her feel close to her mom. And I just saw it really taking over. And I feel like if she had had something like this, you know, the mind sight wheel would have been really helpful for her. But now we know. And so... I think that's all we can do is move forward. But there's always kids on your caseload that could benefit from something like this.
0: Yeah. We have a whole brain strategy. We have two whole brain strategies in this chapter. The first is letting the clouds of emotions roll by, teaching that feelings come and go. Which is a great reminder for kids, especially kids who have trouble differentiating between I feel versus I am. Teach kids feelings are temporary. They change just like the weather. They come and go. They roll by. And you will not feel this way forever. So I'm not dumb. I just feel dumb right now, which I hope (laughs) we're not having to say too much. And then our next whole brain strategy, number nine, is to sift. SIFT stands for sensations, images, feelings, and thoughts, and I really love this anytime they kind of tell you, you could just use this anytime with your kids, not necessarily even when they're really focused on something negative or something they're worried about. It's kind of just a good little tool to be using to keep kids aware of what's going on inside themselves. So focusing on sensations means what's going on in your body. Are you hungry? Are you tired? Are you tense? Do you feel butterflies in your stomach? Just becoming aware of how your body feels and then images could be things like memories, whatever pictures you see in your head. It could be nightmares or dreams or things you've imagined, feelings, obviously teaching children to recognize complex feelings and emotions. So instead of just good or bad, helping teach kids that there's a full spectrum of emotions. So maybe if something happens and the kid says, I feel sad, you could say, oh, yeah, you're right. If that happened to me, I'd be feeling disappointed, hurt, let down.
1: Right, yeah. You
0: know, kind of giving them more words to describe how they feel. There's more than just good, bad, sad. And then thoughts are more left brain than feelings. So what we think about, what we tell ourselves, the way we narrate our lives. So this is teaching kids to pay attention to the thoughts that are going through their head and teaching them also that they don't always have to listen to or believe the thoughts In their head. You can even teach them to argue with negative thoughts. So they give an example of a kid saying, oh, I got sunburned. I'm so stupid for not putting on sunscreen. And then you kind of say lots of kids forget to put on sunscreen. Sometimes it happens, you know, just just reframing things so that they know that the way they feel now is not representative of who they are.
1: I was actually thinking about the SIFT acronym. And when I was reading, I was thinking, wow, you know, this could be so helpful if things feel like they're getting a little wonky in the speech room or during a session, you could easily use a really fun, quick sift game with your students. Maybe we have a fabulous handout that you could use. I just was thinking like, wow, it could be grounding, you know, to look around, you know, all the sensations and just you could also use it to work on language skills or pragmatic skills. I mean, I don't know. I just I thought that was a really fun idea.
0: Yeah. When I was reading this chapter, ideas for handouts and visuals kept coming into my head because, yeah, I think that In the speech room, it could be helpful to take a sift break where we just all say one sensation we're feeling. I'm hungry. I'm, you know, we all say an image that we have in our head. So I did create some visuals for sift. I have a emotion, like a little how are you feeling thing with lots of different emotions. Oh, that's so cute. I have a body sensations visual where you can talk about what you hear what you see what something you smell you know like all these different sensations an images visual for helping think about the pictures that are in your head and then a little thoughts one so i do have all these (laughs) visuals we created for our patreon members you can go on there right now and get those because it is kind of a helpful tool it can be used in the speech room in a lot of different ways
1: this might just be the one thing you're missing from your SLP toolbox, which is something to just help everybody refocus, get everybody back on board, sort of ground them, recenter. And then maybe you would get like 10 more minutes of productive work that you might not have gotten
0: otherwise. Yeah. Because the SIF process really helps integrate the brain. You're pulling images and feelings from the right brain, sensations and feelings from the lower brain, and then you're putting it all together with the thoughts that you're having in your left brain. So this is just the theme of the whole book. You're helping kids think about things and use their brain in an integrated way, growing these skills.
1: Laura, I really also like our emotions handout that's going to be on our Patreon, because when I was reading through this specific part of the book where they're talking about the emotions... I was thinking about goals that I have had for kids who are working on pragmatics, mm-hmm. specifically about using more nuanced emotions. And I like that they even said that in the book. Like, normally you ask a child, maybe you have a book open in front of them, and you ask, How do you think she's feeling? You know, referring to a character in the book, and you get like three responses, right? Yeah. Happy, mad, or sad. And I have written many goals that are, you know, targeting, expanding the vocabulary. We have to talk about emotions. And so I was thinking, wow, if you have a goal like that, how fabulous to sort of weave this into that. You can show them a picture scene or read a scenario. And if the emotion is maybe disappointed or something, like you're already kind of working on this goal, maybe ask the student to take it a step further. And if you're talking about somebody in a book who's disappointed, you could flip the tables and say like, hey, when was the last time you felt disappointed? And that could just be an opportunity to take it a little bit further, give them time to share something about their life and have a little story retell and maybe work through something because... Sadly, I think children rarely have an adult ask them about their emotional life. You know, like just saying something like, when were you disappointed? When was the time you've ever felt disappointed?
0: I love that. So this chapter actually has one more whole brain strategy. Number 10 is getting back to the hub. This is just teaching children that when they do become too focused on one part of their rim of the wheel of awareness, they don't have to be a victim of that way of thinking. We kind of said that before, you're not a hostage. You're not held hostage by your thoughts or your feelings. You can always focus your attention on something else using positive images, things that make you feel good, objects that you like, your breath. I think the example they gave was a girl who had a music recital she was really worried about and her mom kind of had her lay down and used imagery and focusing on different things in the room to just distract her mind and pull in different parts of the rim. So she wasn't so focused on those nerves, that anxiety and nervousness that she was feeling about the music recital. So yeah, they said even with little kids, you can put a toy on their belly maybe and have them watch it rise and fall.
1: I thought that was so cute. <laughs>
0: yeah, mm-hmm. Just anybody who has meditated and found the benefits of turning off your thoughts just for a little bit, even for five minutes, how beneficial it is to just not be lost. I mean, our minds are really out of control sometimes. Yeah. And to stop and just focus on your breath or focus on whatever you use during meditation, you know, it's really, it's really beneficial because then once you have that skill, you're able to use it throughout the day when your thoughts are kind of out of control and teaching kids, getting them started on this when they're young Is, yeah, it's incredible. 100%. But also,
1: I need to note that this is stuff that we need. I really need this (laughs) as an adult, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You think that it's not hard, or you think that, like, oh, everything seems fine, but the more. I don't know. The more I learn about stuff like this, the more I'm like, oh, we're always learning as adults, right? (laughs) Yes. And what a beautiful thing if you're teaching this to your child and you can do it with them. And it's like something you're both learning and you're both working on.
0: Yeah. Then the whole brain kids section at the end of the book is just to teach your kids about all the different parts of themselves, that they're not one thing. There are so many different things that make up who they are and all these different points on their rim of the wheel of awareness. And then for integrating yourselves, really it's just talking about are you too focused on negative things things you're worried about they kind of have a list of questions you could ask yourself and then some other questions that maybe will bring up more positive imagery in your mind more positive thoughts and feelings and then they ask like how do you feel now that you changed your focus away from the things you're worried about and towards these the last time your kid made you laugh or you know and and for speech therapists we can get really focused on the negative parts of our job, the teachers we maybe aren't getting along with, or the kids that are really challenging, the parents that can sometimes be challenging administrators.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The list goes on.
0: (laughs) Our, Our workload, our caseload, you know, not having enough support. There's so much negative to focus on sometimes and how overworked and tired and burnt out we are. And we know the benefits of using gratitude, but if you can just think Every day, try to think about the positive things. You know, what kid really made me laugh hard today? Like, what was the best part of our group? What kid made the most progress today? Changing your focus has such an impact.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could use the strategies we learned about in chapter four. Like, what was the high point of my day? What was the low? And what was something that made me laugh, you know?
0: (laughs) Yes, yes.
1: So many gems. But you're right. Your focus is hugely important. And I think we can all stand to benefit from something like that.
0: Yeah. All right. So that is it for Chapter 5 of The Whole Brain Child. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Make sure if you're a Patreon member, you go to our Patreon so that you can download all the amazing visuals and the chapter outline that we have for Chapter 5. Our next episode, Chapter 6, will be coming out this Friday, the 27th. So we look forward to seeing you then. Bye, Adrian.
1: Bye, Laura. The SLP Book Club is not just a podcast, it's a community. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash the SLP Book Club to join the discussion after each episode.
0: Want even more of the SLP Book Club? You can become a Patreon member by going to patreon.com/slash the SLP Book Club. You'll get access to bonus content including chapter summaries and amazing printables that can be used directly with the children you work with in speech therapy.
1: To learn more about the SLP Book Club, go to the
0: You can contact us by emailing hello at the Follow us on Instagram at SLP